Good afternoon, everyone. It's a pleasure to be with you. Josh, thanks for those kind words. Didn't expect you to say all that, but... Uh, man, it's so good to be up here. Um, I like the, the, the label, the, the guitar dude. I can go with that for a while, so uh, that's fine. Um, it is a joy to be with you today to open God's Word uh, for a few minutes. Um, I just want to say welcome. If you are a first-time guest here, uh, if you've just if you're new to our Redeemer, coming for a couple of weeks now, I just want to say welcome. Thanks for coming. Um, we're so glad to have you here. Um, during these last, uh, during these weeks leading up to Easter, uh, we are slowing down to take time to look closely at Jesus's journey to the cross, and our deep longing is to see more clearly who Jesus is, who he truly is, to see the real Jesus in all of his love and grace. We want a bigger view of the gospel. I hope that as we slow down and we stare at Jesus Christ, we are able to see his unparalleled magnificence and his immense love for us. And I hope that that is your prayer as well. Before we get started, uh, let me just say a brief prayer and we'll get into our text. Lord, I need you. Um, We need you. Would you now open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your law? May we um, posture ourselves, as it were, at the feet of Jesus, to hear from him, to learn from him. Oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, our main text this afternoon is found in Matthew 27. So Matthew 27, verses 11 through 14. This is the account of Jesus before Pilate. This this is going to get annoying here. Hang on a second. There we go. Jesus before Pilate. Um, Now here's just a really brief uh, roadmap for where we're going to go over the next few minutes. Um, I want us just to look at this story. Uh, We're going to ask why this story is important and then what it means for us today. So that's where we're headed. We're going to look at the story. Uh, why the story is important, and then what it means for us today. But before we get to the main text, Matthew 27, 11 through 14, um, I'd like to give us some context on how Jesus has arrived before Pilate. Um, uh, last week, Josh helpfully uh, preached through Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we're kind of skipping over a pretty large chunk of text there. So I want us to give a recap here before we launch into our main text. So last week we did hear about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane with a few of his disciples uh, where he agonized in prayer. Three times he prayed, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. The cross was in clear view for Jesus. 
Jesus knew what he needed to do. Jesus knows that enduring the cross, absorbing the cup of God's wrath, is the will of the Father. Jesus finishes praying and wakes his disciples up for the third time and says, sleep's going to have to wait, guys. My betrayer is at hand. My hour has come. Judas, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, Judas, intimately connected with Jesus for years, betrays him with a kiss. The band of soldiers he brings along seizes Jesus, and with swords and clubs in hand, Jesus is arrested. The disciples scatter like sheep. And the march begins, not to Pilate quite yet, but the march begins first to Caiaphas, the high priest, on that lonely Friday morning. A speedy trial is contrived and staged at the house of Caiaphas. The chief priests and scribes are gathered together so that they could accuse Jesus through false testimony. It's the middle of the night. There's only one thing they're after. They want to find Jesus guilty. They want him dead. And apparently it doesn't really matter how they get it. They want false testimony. They're seeking people to come forward to accuse Jesus. But Jesus is ultimately questioned by Caiaphas himself. He asks Jesus very straightforward questions. And Jesus claims to be who he actually is, the king of the nations, the divine son of man who will sit at Yahweh's right hand and come on the clouds. And Caiaphas screams, blasphemy. Blasphemy. What other evidence do we need? This man deserves death. You see, Jesus' affirmation to Caiaphas seals his death sentence on both theological grounds and political grounds. And since it's not lawful for Jews to put anyone to death, and we find that in John 18 in this same account, Caiaphas... uh, has all he needs to bring him to Pontius Pilate. Now before we get to Pilate though, we come back again to Peter and to Judas. Matthew has two accounts of Peter, one of Peter and one of Judas. Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, denies him three times, denies that he even knows him. The rooster crows, And he remembers the words that Jesus spoke and he weeps bitterly over what he has done. In Luke's account, it says that Jesus gets eye contact with Peter. Imagine that. The Savior whom you just abandoned sees you after you've just denied him. Peter weeps bitterly. And then... Judas, he changes his mind and shows remorse for his treachery. He brings back his blood money to the chief priest. He knows he has betrayed innocent blood, but it's too late. In an act of self 
atoning sacrifice, he takes his own life. Now, over these last six or seven hours of Jesus' life, before he gets, stands before Pilate, let's remember this. He has agonized for hours in prayer in the garden to the point of sweating drops of blood. He has been betrayed by one of his disciples. He has been abandoned by his closest friends who promised that they would never leave him. He has been unjustly accused. He has been beaten, slapped, spit upon in the face, and mocked. And now, here is Jesus standing before Pilate the governor. And no doubt the chief priests have the ear of Pilate. Pilate most likely has little interest in the theological blasphemy charges of the religious leaders. He's a political figure. Pilate is concerned with political threats, and nothing is a greater threat than a rival king. I wonder if the chief priest whispered into Pilate's ear, ask him if he's king of the Jews. So Pilate meets Jesus and the rest of the Jewish leaders outside the courtyard in the courtyard of his headquarters. And this brings us to our text today. You read for us Matthew chapter 27, 11 through 14. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Pilate shoots straight with Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answers in the affirmative. You have said so. Now, this is Jesus saying yes. Jesus says yes. So this is an affirmation to Pilate's first question. But it's sort of a guarded affirmation. It's one that Jesus has used multiple times over the last day or so. But why does Jesus respond this way now? Yes, it's true that Jesus is the king of the Jews, but Jesus knows he's so much more than that. He's king over all creation. Is he the king? Yeah, he is the king. But as the apostle John records in his gospel, John, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. So Jesus affirms Pilate's first question. And here he is, maybe even surrounded by dozens of men outside. I'm not sure what the context really looks like, but I imagine Jesus, he's outside, facing Pilate, the religious leaders surrounding him. He answers Pilate's first question. He's emotionally and physically exhausted. He's been up all night long, beaten, 
the chief priests then began to pummel Jesus with further accusations. But Jesus remains silent. He gave no answer. And then comes Pilate's second question in verses 13 and 14. Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Pilate isn't sure what to do with Jesus. He thinks he's innocent. And Jesus certainly is innocent. So why is he not firing back at these accusations? Pilate, the governor, is perplexed. He's thrown off. He's amazed. He's greatly amazed. Any other person in Jesus' place would have defended themselves And if there was anyone who had the right to defend himself, it was Jesus, the righteous, perfect, spotless Lamb of God. But Jesus remains silent. He doesn't respond even to a single accusation. Why? Why does Jesus remain silent? To answer this question, we need to see what's happening here from heaven's perspective. Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus demonstrates that he is the Lamb of God silent before the slaughter. He is demonstrating he is the Lamb of God silent before the slaughter. He is fulfilling Isaiah 53, 7. Silent Jesus Fulfilling the plan of redemption. His Father's plan. Jesus knows that He is to fulfill all righteousness. And so, He couldn't have defended Himself before Pilate because His heart was fixed unflinchingly on the cross. His heart was to do the will of His Father. And it was the will of the Lord to crush Him. His mission was to carry out the Father's plan of redemption and that meant Jesus be not only Daniel's son of man, the king of the nations, but this means that Jesus be Isaiah's suffering servant, the spotless lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ is our sacrificial lamb and a sacrificial lamb does not protest its slaughter. So, why did Jesus remain silent in the face of unjust accusation and unjust suffering? It was to demonstrate that He is the Lamb of God 
silent before the slaughter to make atonement for the sins of his people. What does this mean for you and I? Here's Jesus fulfilling the Father's plan. What does Jesus' silence before Pilate mean for you and for me? Well, the Apostle Peter helps us here. Remember Peter, the guy who just moments before betrayed Jesus, left him, denied him? Well, Peter was amazingly restored. Peter had one of the closest views of Jesus that anyone could have. He was an eyewitness to the sufferings of Jesus. He was, he was right there when all of this is happening. And in his epistle, 1 Peter 2, chapter 2, verses 20 and 23, he writes, For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure... This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus is our example of trusting in the Father's care. So what does it mean for us today? Jesus is our example of trusting in the Father's care. Jesus is so much more than just an example for us But he certainly is no less. And Peter is telling us explicitly that when we suffer, we need to look to Jesus as our example that we might follow in his steps. Jesus entrusted himself to his father, to the one who judges justly. Instead of him taking justice into his own hands, which he could have done. He had every right to do it. He chose to entrust himself to another. This means that you and I can trust our Heavenly Father in the face of suffering and unjust treatment. When you face insults, accusations, critiques, when you feel misunderstood, or feel marginalized, when you feel the need to get defensive and justify your cause to win an argument, Jesus shows us that being silent doesn't mean you lose. I'm often so quick that when I'm reviled, I revile in return. Some of the littlest, pettiest stuff. I have to plead my own cause because I can't lose. I can't remain silent. That's defeat. 
Jesus shows us differently. Jesus shows us a better way. I don't have to be defensive when I'm critiqued or when I'm accused. I can take the low road of humility and trust that my heavenly father, the judge of all the earth, will do what is just. We can trust the father. You don't have to get defensive and plead your own cause. Now, You can look to Jesus' example of trusting in the Father's care. You can look to Jesus and his humility and his patience and his long-suffering in the face of unjust treatment. That doesn't mean we don't strive for just causes, for justice, biblical justice in this world. But it does mean we ultimately entrust that to God himself, knowing that all wrongs will be made right one day. We have a just judge For the Lord is a God of justice, Isaiah 30, verse 18. There is perfect vindication coming. We may never see that in this life, but we have a God who judges justly, and we can trust him for that. Jesus trusted him for that. So what does this mean for us? Number one, we can Follow Jesus as our example of trusting in the Father's care. And secondly, what does this mean for us? We must stand amazed at Jesus. Now, back to Pilate. Verse 14. But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. We should be amazed too. We should be amazed at Jesus and what he has done for us. John Calvin wrote, I love this quote, God's son stood trial before a mortal man and suffered accusation and condemnation that we might stand without fear in the presence of God. Jesus stood condemned in our place. He stood silent before his accusers that we might stand without fear in the presence of God. Jesus was silent as he suffered under Pontius Pilate so that we could be loud in our praise of him. Jesus was silent as he suffered under Pontius Pilate so that we can now lift our voices and our lives to proclaim what a Savior. What a Savior we have. May we stand amazed at Jesus for who he is and all that he's done as our sacrificial lamb who bore our sin in his body on the tree, and by his wounds you have been healed. Just hours before Jesus was standing before Pilate, he was with his disciples in the upper room. 
where he, for the very first time, instituted the Lord's Supper. Matthew 26, starting in verse 26, says, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 